This morning, we're going to continue with our series and study we've been doing on the minor prophets with major messages. And today we're going to continue in what has been called the Book of the Twelve, or also known as the Minor Prophets. And today we're going to talk about prophet number 10 in the, that small section of the Old Testament. And though their writings are brief, their messages are no less impactful. They are minor prophets with major messages. And certainly today's prophet will exhibit that as we listen to what he says only in really two chapters of this book. And I want to review last week just a little bit because last week really brings us to a great place today to hear what this minor prophet had to say. And we talked about last week about Zephaniah. And Zephaniah's message was this, come back home. And today we are going to end up with the people of Israel coming back home. They listened to the word of the Lord, and although Zephaniah gave that word before the exile, now here we're going to see today and jump in the context of the people of Israel after exile coming back home to Jerusalem. And last week we talked about a word that was really important, and that word was restoration. And it's going to be a similar theme that is kind of carried through today's prophet as well. And to give you a little bit fuller picture, because the prophet we're going to talk about today is surrounded by many other figures throughout the Old Testament, that when you put their pieces together, you can see the fuller and complete picture. And today we're going to talk about the prophet Haggai. And Haggai is followed, as we'll talk about next week, another prophet, Zechariah. And these two prophets, we know, work together at the same time. And we know that because you can go and read the historical book, Ezra. And Ezra talks about Haggai and Zechariah working together with two other characters in the return to Jerusalem, whose names we're going to hear today, Zerubbabel and Joshua. And all of these people were working together to rebuild the temple and come back to Jerusalem. And you can also go read in addition to that, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had a role as well in returning from the exile, rebuilding the walls that laid in ruins. And so Haggai, as we're going to read today, is set in the context of the return of the Israelites to Jerusalem from their exile under Babylonian captivity. And like us, they are seeking comfortable lives under economic hardship, and their time is consumed with meeting their physical needs. And as we're going to see today, they returned to Jerusalem, but they didn't quite learn their lesson in exile. In those 70 years that they were in exile, they didn't quite learn what they needed to learn. They came back to Jerusalem and they returned to a temple that had been ransacked and destroyed before then. And there was God's house lying in ruins, but yet they ignored it and they focused on their own lives. And one unique element that you're going to see today about Haggai is that the word of the Lord is directed. When, when Haggai records this, the word of the Lord is directed first at the two leaders of the people who are leading this rebuilding efforts and leading this coming back to Jerusalem, uh, Zerubbabel and the high priest. This is just a little side note. doesn't really have to do with today's sermon. But the, the call from the Lord to the people started with the leaders. And the leaders first had to get it right in their own hearts before they could lead the people to where they needed to be. 
And this is a, really a practice of all of the Bible, is that it, everything, it starts with the leadership. If the leadership can't repent, then the people will never be able to. And so this is where they had to go. And so we're going to pick up here in Haggai chapter 1 and read this morning. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. It says this, that in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. Now, I know that that seems like a boring sentence, but if you read throughout Haggai, you'll notice that this phrase is repeated over and over again with exception to the month and the day being changed. So we know that these words that were giving to the people of Israel were given in a span within a year, and really it looks like almost a period of six months or maybe a little bit more, that it was all shared, all of these words coming to the people. So everything we're about to read and talk about today happened within a very short span of time. And so he tells them, here's the word of the Lord that came by Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. A little bit more context before we go on. You're going to hear this name Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel is a descendant of the line of David. He is the governor of Judah. He is really, he's not the king, but he is the kind of ruling leader of the time. And so you see this kind of king-like figure, Zerubbabel. You see priest Joshua, and you also hear the words of Haggai and Zechariah. And we see this threefold leadership happening in the life of Israel, prophet, priest, and king, a role that was intended for Jesus, for God to, to embody all in himself. But this people, if you go back, we talked about last week, the people demanded a king for their own. And so therefore, there was no one person that who could embody prophet, priest, and king. That was a, res- a role reserved for Jesus. And so we continue reading. Thus says the Son, or thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And he talks to them about paneled houses. And if you're reading this in the context of the Old Testament, paneled houses suggest that they were wealthy, that they began to have some kind of status in life. So he's telling them, you're focusing on building your luxurious houses, but here the house of the Lord lies in ruins. Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts once again, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. This is really the point that the Lord was trying to get to to the people. Everything you've got, it's falling apart. Why? Because my house is lying in ruins and you're all busy with your own house. What a word to the people 
in this context, in this day and age. What a strong word, and what a word especially relevant to the 21st century American especially. Consider your ways, the Lord says to them. Consider what's before you. Really what the Lord is trying to do is trying to open their eyes a little bit and say, hey, look, you're sowing, you're trying to eat, but you never have enough. You're doing all of these things, but it never seems to be, amount to anything. Consider your ways. Look, because you're busy focusing on your own house while my house lies in ruins, this is why it's come upon you as such. And we learn here today, and Haggai's message is this, Zephaniah's message was come back home. They're home, but they didn't quite come back home the way they were supposed to. Haggai's message is this, consider your ways. The theme through Haggai we're going to see today is reestablishment. Reestablishment, a big word. But it wasn't enough for them to just return to Jerusalem. There they are, that's where they were intended to be. But they needed to return, repent, rededicate, and then they would be reestablished. And this is what we're going to talk about here today is this process that God intended for them to go about and the process that they would eventually go upon. And so the first thing that they had to do was return. And they did that, but they didn't. When they returned, they had to, as the Lord said, consider your ways. I think it's interesting that the Lord puts it to them like that. Consider your ways. He's almost like he's trying to ask them to think about it. Think about it for a minute. Look at your life. Consider how you're being impacted in your life right now by your return. You're sowing, but there's no harvest. You eat, but it's never enough. The Lord's trying to reason with them. You drink, but you're always thirsty. You clothe yourselves, but you're always cold. You make money, but it goes into a bag of holes. Consider your ways. Think about this for a moment, the Lord says. It reminds me of a lot of the times excuses that I and probably all of us make up in our lives about the work of the Lord and about serving the Lord. Well, somebody will do it. It's not my time to do it. Uh, maybe later. It's the excuse of the 21st century in the world that I call the me world. It's not a W.E. world, it's a me world, where there seems to be a drastic increase in our culture of the idol of me. Me, me, me. Everything is a consumeristic culture. Everything we hear on TV, everything we see, everything, every advertisement, it is fixated to be touching the person of me. Everything's all about me, me, me. And what happens is, is that kind of culture feeds into our pride, feeds into our self-centeredness, and feeds into our, really, our fallen human nature to take us in and give us a warped kind of thinking that we always consider ourselves before others, but this isn't the practice of the Bible. The Lord told them and instructed them that the Lord was supposed to be priority in their lives. Basically, it came down to this. They were consumed with the wrong priorities. They were consumed with building their own houses. They even went above and beyond to make their houses great. But the Lord's house, they left in ruins. They left it in, in, just in the dust, in the way it was. They didn't even touch it. And it speaks to our lives today that the Lord would speak to them and say, while each of you, my house lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. 
In, in the world that we live in today, and Haggai's message can speak to us about how, what are we busy with in our lives? What consumes our time, our attention, our thoughts, and our motives, and our hearts? What is pulling us uh, here or there, pulling us away from the Lord, or pulling us to the Lord? Consider your ways, the Bible says. Isn't it a thing in our lives that we become so busy I, I'm, I'm convinced that busy, busyness is one of our detriments as a society. Busyness, busyness, busyness. Always busy. Always rushing here, there, and never pausing to slow down and listen. Take God's word. We rush through it. And I have been as so, in, in guilty of this so many times of even coming to prayer, reading the Bible, and never slowing down, but just rushing, rushing, rushing. I remember when I moved to South America, I went to live in South America and Paraguay for about seven months. And when, the, when I got there, I had left, I was working two jobs, I was in college, and all of these things, I was so busy. And I remember when I got to Paraguay for the first month, it was so hot. It was just, you walked outside and you just soaking wet, so hot. And I remember when I got there for the first month, the thing that hit me the hardest was my life came to a screeching halt. The brakes were put on. I had been so busy, 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 and I did not realize how that busyness how affected my soul, how it had taken, taken life away from my soul. I was focused on doing all the right things, but I wasn't in the right place. And during that season of my life was a season where the Lord had to call me to slow down and just be before the Lord. And I think this was the call as well to the people of Jerusalem, that they had to slow down their lives. They had been so busy, rushing, rushing, that their priorities had fallen out of a line. They were focused on the wrong things. They were busy with their own house. And you know, this shows us something about God's word as we have also demonstrated as we have fasted, fasted and prayed, the blessing of putting the Lord first and the blessing of obedience. The Bible goes on to say, as they had gotten towards the end of Haggai's words, he says this, consider from this day onward. He says, is, this, is the seed in the barn yet? Is the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing? And I forgot to read the verse that they said that they had just finished building the foundation of the Lord's temple. And after all of this, he says, they've yielded nothing. And the Bible says, but from this day on, I will bless you. After they had built the foundation of the Lord's temple. If you go in and read Ezra, the Bible talks about this amazing scene where they had just finished laying the temple foundation. And they begin to praise the Lord and celebrate and rejoice because the temple of God, the foundation of God's temple had been restored. And what caused the blessing to come was when God's house and the Lord got priority in their lives again. It reminds us of the words of Matthew 6.33 that I've been speaking so much here lately. And it's words that I'm trying to live by in my own life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these things shall be added unto you. And if you read that chapter, Jesus was addressing people who were consumed with worry. They were worried about how they were going to pay their bills, how they were going to get their provision, how they were going to go about their lives, just all consumed with worry. And the Lord was trying to speak to them and say, if you'll put me first, 
then you can trust me to work out everything else in your life. And this was also the example we learned from Haggai here is that when they put God's temple first, when they gave their lives to serve the Lord and stopped neglecting God's house, then they saw the blessing come. And this shows us that a Christ-centered life puts us and brings about the blessing of God. That when the Lord is priority in our lives, then we can trust and count on God's provision and help in our lives. It shows us that misaligned or, or misappropriated priorities lead to a misaligned life. That when our priorities are out of whack, we can expect our lives to also be out of whack. But when our priorities are right and the Lord is first and God is above all else, then we can trust the Lord's grace, his strength, his wisdom and provision. This was the blessing of a Christ-centered life. And it brought about the blessing of God. So I say to you once again and myself here today, consider your ways. Are you on a path right now that is leading you to all about me? Or are you on a path right now that is leading you to putting the Lord first and that is all that you're concerned about? Our ways have to be considered because one way leads to destruction, but one way leads to life and blessing. And that is the call of God to the people of Israel here is consider your ways. Return to me. Don't just come to my house. Don't just show up in Jerusalem and expect a blessing. No, return to me, the Lord. Isn't that the detriment that happens of so many people as they expect the Lord to just bless them because they come, but they don't truly return with their heart. They just show up and say, here I am, Lord, but they never really return to the Lord. Their heart wasn't in it. It was a half-hearted obedience. It wasn't a full obedience. And God isn't interested in half-heartedness. He wants all of our heart. He wants us turn to him with everything not just a little bit of me here and a little bit of me there no return with everything consider your ways are you making excuses are we making excuses the Lord called them there and ultimately he said I'm calling you here because I want to take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified you know what God is glorified by is a life that puts him first God gets all the glory when he is number one in our lives God gets all of the honor and the praise and not only that but he says I delight in that I take pleasure in it when you put me first, oh, I love that. He smiles at that. God looks down at people who seek first the kingdom of God. So number one, they had to return. Consider your ways. And number two, they had to, the one that is so difficult for all of us here today because we have to get off of our pride and kind of deny ourselves a little bit, they had to repent. Haggai chapter two, the Bible says this, that the Lord would speak to them and he says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? He was trying to tell them, I want you to remember. You remember that temple that Solomon built, how it was covered in gold and it was beautiful. It had all of these stones. Everything looked perfect. But he says this, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Notice what he said to them. Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And then he goes on and addresses them. He says, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. And he goes on down later in verse 5 and says, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. 
and later in verse 7. And I will fill this house with the glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord, and the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. You notice what happened here is that the Lord addresses the leaders once again. He says, Zerubbabel, Joshua, all you people of the land, I want you to hear this here. You're looking at this building and it looks like nothing in your eyes. But I want to encourage you. I like how some, uh, some translations translate that, be strong, and they say, take courage. Take courage. You see like it's nothing in your eyes. But I want to tell you, work. I'm with you. My spirit's in your midst. And it teaches us something about what was happening here is that you build more than you see. That's the way it is in the kingdom of God is you build more than you see. Rarely ever in the kingdom of God do you see the progress of what we do for the Lord because we are serving a, a world that is invisible, that is not visible with our eyes. And that is the, what they were basing it upon. They, listen to this, they wanted to see progress. They wanted to see the fruit of what their hands had done. They wanted to put their hands on what had been happening. That lines up with their mentality, right? They were a selfish people. They wanted to see what they're done so who could get the glory for it? They could say, Zerubbabel, you did a great job. Joshua, you did a great job. That's what they were concerned about. Patting themselves on the back. They wanted to see progress. They wanted to look at it with their own eyes. But the Lord wasn't concerned about really what they could see. He wanted them to know that he wanted their hearts. See, it was never really about a building. Although the temple serves a greater purpose in God's plan, but it's the Lord's glory who fills the temple. What the Lord really wanted was that they return not just to Jerusalem, not just to a temple, but that, the, that they return to the Lord with all of their heart. Our love for the Lord is tested if we will be faithful even without the reward. And that was what they had to learn was did they love the reward or did they love the one who gave the reward? And in this process, God was testing them and showing them about repentance that, yeah, they had to repent, but it had to be repentance with action. Don't just say you're going to come back to me. Don't just apologize. Show me with your heart that you have repented. And this was the test that they were going through. And the Bible says that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirred up their hands and they came and they worked on the house of the Lord. But now the Bible says, here they are, they're looking at it and they says, it looks like nothing in your sight. Basically what had happened was they had got discouraged. Delayed progress brought about discouragement. Isn't that true of all of us? When there is a delay in our progress of whatever it is in your life, there comes about discouragement, and discouragement leads to isolation. When the enemy can make you feel discouraged, he can separate you from the work of the Lord. When he can get us down and feeling like we haven't accomplished anything with our life or wondering what is this going to be, delayed progress brought about discouragement in their lives. But that wasn't what the Lord wanted for them. Notice what the Lord said to him. He said, take courage. Hey, hey, Zerubbabel, I want you to see. Take courage. You think you're building nothing, but you build more than you see. You think that you're not accomplishing anything, Joshua, but my spirit remains in your midst. It was never about the building. It was about his spirit and abiding in the presence of the Lord. And he was calling them back to be encouraged. Be strong. Be encouraged. I am with you. He goes on to tell them, guess what, Joshua? Guess what, Zerubbabel? All the people of the land, 
Your glory is not going to fill the temple. My glory is going to fill the temple. So that way, when they stood back and they looked at the temple, God would say, the silver is mine. The gold is mine. The, the latter glory of this house is going to be greater than the former. That way, they couldn't stand back like the people of the Tower of Babel and say, look what we have accomplished. No, they could only stand back and say, oh, wow, look what God has accomplished here. Only God can get the glory from it. You see, this was never about what was going on on the what they could see. It was about their heart. And what God was trying to do was bring about encouragement. Keep serving. Keep pressing. Keep working. Keep faithfully trusting the Lord. Keep enduring. Keep, keep struggling through. Keep going through this fight called life. Isn't it like discouragement to come from the enemy? Oh, I can remember the whispers. All the time. You're not really doing anything for the Lord. That doesn't mean anything to God. God doesn't care about that. God doesn't see that. It's not accomplishing anything. Isn't it amazing how the enemy can just get in our ears and whisper and try to twist our thinking? I was reminded as I was looking at this and I was reminded of Joshua and there's Zerubbabel and they're working hard for the Lord. They've repented. They've made things right. But yet they say it looks like nothing in our eyes. They feel like they hadn't accomplished anything. They feel like their progress had been delayed and they couldn't see the result of what they were doing. And I thought about the many times in ministry when I had become discouraged by the sight of what looked like delayed progress. It reminded me of times where the Lord would just graciously speak the words that Paul spoke to the Corinthians and he would say, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know as much as I know that your labor is not in vain. I want to tell you something today. Any labor that is given on behalf of the Lord, it's not in vain. Anything that is done in the purposes of the glory of God, it's not in vain. Anything that we do in our hearts to serve and love the Lord, it's not in vain. As much as the enemy might try to speak whatever, remember today, he's the father of lies. Discouragement, he's the father of lies. That's his native language. That's the only way he knows how to speak is discouragement. But the Lord reminds us today as he reminds us the people that he is in our midst. My spirit remains with you. Don't you lose heart, Joshua. Don't you lose heart, Zerubbabel. Don't you lose heart, Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah. The Lord is here. His glory is going to fill this place. Take heart. As I thought about those times of discouragement in ministry and many times wondering, Lord, what is going on? I feel like we're not accomplishing anything. I was reminded of those times I would drive home from working in youth ministry many times and there would be a song from the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir that would come in my heart. And it was like a song the Lord would just sing to me. It says this, it's not in vain. What you do for Jesus Christ, it's not in vain. Do all you can do for him. He will reward you in the end. What you do for Jesus Christ is not in vain. We're going to be rewarded and we're going to wear a crown when all our work on earth is done. Listen, the Lord is, wants to just do away with discouragement. And if you're here today and you're carrying discouragement in your heart about the work of the Lord in your life or about how you're serving and you don't feel like it's accomplishing anything, can I just encourage you today to cut that voice out of your ear and just do away with that voice? Remember, the Father is not a Father that condemns. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When the Lord speaks to us, He speaks to build up. He speaks to 
ultimately turn our hearts to him, not put us down. When the Lord speaks correction into our lives, it doesn't speak to us in a way that we never come back for us. Correction leads to repentance, not casting us further away. But when the enemy speaks accusations and condemnation into our life, all it does is isolate us more and more and more. And I want to encourage you today, just let that voice of discouragement die. Ignore it. Just don't even hear it today. And remember that all that you do for Jesus Christ, it's not in vain. Work while you can. Do all that you can. Serve him with all of your heart. Love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength in all that you do. It's not in vain. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know it's not in vain. They had to return. They had to repent. And lastly, they had to rededicate. Musicians are going to come. The Bible says in Haggai 2.12, and he begins to talk to them, and he says, ask the priest about the law. He says, I want you to remember this law here. He says, if, any, if someone is carrying holy meat in, his, in, the, in the, the fold of his garment, and he touches it with fold bread or stew or wine or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered, they said, no. So Haggai said, if someone who is unclean, he comes in contact with a dead body and touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered, yes, it does become unclean. You can go back and read that. That's in the law, that if someone had touched a body that had died, they had been marked unclean. So Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward. What the Lord is trying to do is show them they've been working with their hands on this temple. They've been putting what he's calling their unclean hands on the work of the Lord. And now what he's calling them to is to rededicate this temple. And in the time of original temple's dedication, you can go back and read when Solomon would stand out there and pray a prayer of blessing and the, the glory of the Lord would fill the house of the Lord. And what God is calling them to is once again to rededicate this place for the Lord, to give it to him, to consecrate it and set it for them for a holy purpose. It was for God's glory and honor. Consecrate is a big word we use that just simply means to be set aside for a holy purpose, for a special purpose. And that was what the temple was intended to be, was rededicated for the glory of the Lord. The temple lied in ruins and they had to rebuild it. But we're reminded today that the church of Jesus Christ will never lie in ruins because she is the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ is alive and well and triumphant as we know that Jesus overcame death and the grave through his resurrection. And while this word might be a little bit different to us today, it speaks to us about this temple right here, the temple called you and I. That is it lying in ruins? Have we forsaken it and dedicated it to a purpose that is not consecrated to the Lord? Have we dedicated ourselves to a purpose that isn't what God wanted for our lives? And what God was calling them to do was to rededicate not just the temple, but themselves to the Lord for a holy purpose, for a purpose that would bring him honor and praise. I was reminded as we were beginning, as I was preparing for this about the power of returning Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, that the greatness of our God lies in the fact that he is both tough-minded and tender-hearted. 
that God expresses his tough-mindedness in his justice and wrath and his tender-heartedness in his love and grace. On the one hand, God is a God of justice who punished Israel for her wayward deeds. And on the other hand, he is a forgiving father whose heart was filled with unutterable joy when the prodigal son returned home. That's the story of the Lord right here. Is he's just waiting with joy for the people to return to him. Just like he's waiting for you and I. Not just to return to the location, but to return to him with all of our heart. They had to repent. They had to turn away from their wicked ways. They had to push those things aside. And they had to rededicate their lives in order to be reestablished before the Lord. I love how if you continue reading through Haggai, you'll see in just these two chapters, the Bible uses this phrase, the Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts says this. The Lord of hosts does this. And it's mentioned 14 times in just these two chapters. And anytime you see the Lord of hosts throughout the Old Testament, that indicates the Lord of the armies, the Lord who has all control in his hand, the Lord who is strong and mighty, then it's reminding us that God is more powerful than human circumstances. And he closes out Haggai by saying, and I am going to overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. You see, the temple took the, the combined efforts of Haggai. It took the prophets. It took the priests. It took the kings. But Jesus said in three days that he would rebuild the temple, speaking of himself, the one who is our prophet, priest, and king. And today, the Lord is just calling us home to him. Consider your ways. Which path are you going to take? Are you going to take a path that's considered with building your own house, all about me, focused on me? Are you going to take the path that leads to returning, repentance, and rededication to be reestablished before the Lord? Will you stand with me today? Could you close your eyes where you're at? This morning... Consider your ways. Think for a moment. Just ponder, reflect. Consider your ways. Don't let anybody else tell you. You just think about it for a minute. Consider your ways. Charlie, consider your ways. Are we going about our lives as believers that lead to repentance? Or are we going about our lives that lead to building our own selves and homes? And today, what the Lord is calling us as the people of God and as a church for this year, is to rededicate ourselves, be consecrated for a holy purpose, set aside for him. Lord, my life is yours, not my own. Maybe you're going in a path that you're wondering, Lord, why can't I get anywhere? Maybe the Lord's trying to show you today, consider your ways. If you'll put me first, then you can trust me to bless you. Maybe you're serving the Lord faithfully. You're considering today and you're surrounded by discouragement like Zerubbabel and Joshua were. But can I encourage you today? The Lord is in your midst. What a promise from God's word that if we'll put him first, he'll bless us. If we'll behold him as our king and prophet and priest, oh, he will bless us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This morning, maybe you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. 
You need to surrender afresh to him today. Listen, on a weekly, daily basis, i got to rededicate myself to him. Say, Lord, my life is yours today. I'm going to give myself to serve you, to honor you. Maybe you need to tell the Lord that today. Lord, my life belongs to you. I'm all for you, Jesus. Wherever you want to lead me, Lord, I'm yours. I belong to you. I don't want to live my life for myself anymore. I'm tired of that. It's, it's, it takes all of my energy out. So tell him this morning while the choir comes, just talk to him for a moment. Maybe you need to repent. Lord, I'm sorry. Sometimes is the hardest words we'll ever say, but sometimes is the most powerful thing we could ever say to the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord, when I've been consumed with myself and I've let the temple of the Lord in me lie in ruins. I've neglected my life with you. I'm sorry, Lord. I come back to you today, Jesus, with all of my heart. I return, Lord. I don't want to just go to church. I want to be the church. I don't want to just sound like a believer. I want to be a believer. I don't want to just talk about this, Jesus. I want to know you, Lord. I want to return to you. So, Lord, today we come and we repent. We're sorry, Lord. We're sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, for the times I've been more consumed about me that I've neglected you. I'm sorry, Lord, today. Forgive me, Lord. God, today I know that you're a loving father despite that condemnation from that enemy who says he can't be forgiven. It's not going to happen. No, Lord, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I know, Lord, that if you say I am forgiven, I can take you at your word that my sins have been cast as far as the east is to the west. Lord, I thank you today that the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins today. We repent, Lord. We return. And now, Lord, this morning we rededicate ourselves. God, maybe there's some people here today that are wrestling with the call of God upon their lives. You're speaking to them and trying to lead them and guide them and where they need to be in life. But we're just not quite there. But Lord, today may we mark this moment as a rededication of our lives to you. My life is yours, Jesus. life is yours not I but Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me the life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me Lord let us die to our fleshly nature and take up the purpose that you have for our lives God we rededicate ourselves to you for a holy purpose I belong to you, Lord. I'm setting myself aside for you, Lord. I'm going to trust you're going to help me, God. My life is yours. I belong to you. Just tell the Lord in your own way. Come to him sincerely, humbly. As the choir sings, just come to him. Approach the throne of grace.